Uh, we're going to be looking at Galatians 5, uh, verses 25 to 26 first, but then we're going to be looking at Galatians 6, verses 1 to 10. That's where we'll be spending most of our time with. As you're turning there or turning it on and sliding there, uh, I'm going to pray for us. If you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, uh, please just put your hand up, grab it. If you don't actually own a Bible, it's our gift to you. Take it home, uh, enjoy it. That would be great. But let me pray for us. God, I want to thank you so much for that wonderful testimony. And Lord, we pray as we continue our time of worship uh, to hear from your word, that you would speak to our hearts, not just individually, but as a community this morning, as a church. We pray all the noises in our heads and heart, whatever they may be, uh, we pray that you would still them. And Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. That Jesus, you would be made much of. May it be for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Galatians 5, verses 25 to 26. Uh, I've got the ESV version. Uh, if you've got an NIV, that's great. Uh, this is uh, similar, um, but it's just a version that I prefer. Verses 25 starts off with saying, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, if you're new to Canterbury Gardens Community Church, uh, we as a church have been going through the book of Galatians. Uh, we've been unpacking it. We've been taking our time through it. Now, I don't know what it's been like for you as you've been unpacking Galatians, particularly if you've been walking on this journey with us. I just want to put a couple of things out there. Uh, the first thing is that as uh, someone who has been unpacking and looking at Galatians myself, I personally have been quite uh, refreshed and challenged again. But maybe uh, you're someone who grew up in church, or maybe you're someone who's heard that ultimately being a Christian is all about following a set of moral codes. That's what it comes down to. Maybe you've been told as a follower of Jesus that to be a really good Christian, to be a really good follower of Jesus, it's actually about keeping up with those set moral codes. I hope and pray that if you have uh, been following us or maybe you've never heard of that before, actually the Christian faith has nothing to do with that. At the heart of it, the Christian faith has nothing to do with a set of moral codes. See, in the book of Galatians, this is what Galatians does. Uh, the author of Galatians, Paul, he's a church planner, he's a pastor, comes along like with a big massive hammer and smashes this wall that has been uh, engaging this church, this wall that's been built up around this church in Galatia. What is that wall at the heart of it? If you want to really peel it all back, it's that little asterisk. Do you know the little asterisk when you see a price that says $99.95? And there's a little asterisk. As soon as you see that little asterisk, you go, wait a minute, it's not $99.95. There's more to it. There's more to this price. See, this church had, get, had been caught up in something. See, this church was told by a group of guys that, yes, it is about Jesus, but let's add some things. If you want to be a really good Christian, you need to follow a bunch of laws. And particularly, the law that they're talking about is the law of Moses. That's a lot of, that is in our Old Testament that you can read about. But at the heart of what they were doing was they were adding to the gospel, and that gospel is the gospel of grace. And last week, Steve unpacked for us Probably one of the most famous passages that is in the Christian Bible. 
Talking about being people who are filled with the Spirit and living in step with the Spirit. And we were painted a picture, and that picture of, was of two fruits. Well, really one fruit, and then there's fruits. Now, one fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. The other fruits is the fruit of the flesh. And we're challenged to ask, who are you relying on? Are you relying on your flesh? Are you living in the Spirit? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to His voice to live in step with Him? And so over the last few weeks, we've been unpacking this and really hoping and praying that as we as a church wrestle with the book of Galatians, you've been hopefully being refreshed. See, Galatians says to us that there's nothing you and I can do, that we're totally saved by grace. It's all God's work. And not only that, now, as Steve unpacked for us last week, to live that Christian faith, you can't do it. You need God's help through His Holy Spirit. Because He's the one who ultimately produces that fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It is all God's work. It is all God's work. It has nothing to do with you or me. And I hope and pray it has been a relief for you. Maybe you've been walking along and feeling this weight of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When you've been hearing about grace and grace and grace every week, my prayer and our prayer has been, hopefully it's been like, oh, what a relief. It's all on God's shoulders. The Christian faith is a wonderful picture of surrender. That's what it comes down to. It is a surrender to a wonderful and glorious, awesome God. And so we come up to this section. And that section that we're looking at. So the, the foundation that's been laid is that you've been saved by grace. It's not your work. You've been called to live a life, a holy and pure life, but you can't do it. You need the Spirit to help you do that. And He's the one that produces it. And then the question today we're going to hopefully answer is what would it look like to be a grace-based community? What would it look like to be a grace-based community? So verse 25, as I read, we were given a choice. And there is a choice. There is a choice in where you're choosing to submit to the Spirit's work in your life. You're saying yes to Him rather than saying yes to the flesh. And if you walk in step with Him, something should happen. What should happen? Yes, there should be fruit happening in your life, should be flowing out, but it should be played out in your relationships with each other. And particularly in the context of a church body. Paul is saying, listen, Galatian church, you're calling yourself Christians, well, it should play out in your interaction with each other. It says in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He lays out three descriptions. And what I think is there's probably what was going on in this church. This challenge was happening. And so he's saying, listen, if you're going to walk in step with the Spirit, and if you're going to live by the Spirit, you're going to talk that language, these things should not be in you. One, being someone who's conceited. Now, someone who's conceited is someone who thinks they're a bit all right. They think they're a bit all right. They love boasting about themselves. They're usually the hero of the story. They have a delusion of grandeur. They're actually quite blind to themselves. There's a pride hiding underneath all of that. 
And what have we learned? We've learned over the last few, few weeks, there's nothing that you have and I have to boast about. It is all God's work. How are you saved? How am I saved? Is it your work? No, Jesus. How do you stay in step and grow in being a good Christian in that sense? Well, it's all about the Spirit working in you. He's the one who produces the fruit. So at the end of the day, you and I have nothing to boast about, except for what Jesus has done and is doing through His Spirit. And the other one that He calls out is provoking one another. Uh, that is to someone who cannot but help egg people on. They just love getting into a fight. They love arguing for the sake of arguing. And in this context, he's actually dealing with an issue, I think, about leadership. People who love looking at leadership and sort of having a go at leadership for the sake of it. They like questioning the authority for the wrong reasons. And the other one that he pulls out is someone who's envying. Now, what this is about is someone who looks at somebody else and their walk, particularly their spiritual walk, and they're jealous and they don't like that they're succeeding in their walk. They hate seeing those people doing better than themselves. See, church, in a grace-based community, there's actually no room for delusions of grandeur, thinking that you're better than anyone else. Because we have nothing to stand on except for Jesus Christ and what He's done. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, if you know Jesus, you know, if you think about it, you were helplessly bound for hell. And if it wasn't for the grace of God who grabbed you and pulled you out, you would still be heading there. See, in a grace-based community, uh, there's no room to challenge for the sake, uh, for negative reasons. There's nothing wrong in having a healthy discussion or a debate, or if you have a disagreement about something, do it in humility. But if you're doing it for the sake of arguing, particularly against those who serve you, you're missing out what it means to be in a grace-based community. In a grace-based community, there's actually no room for becoming bitter, because of someone's success in their ministry, in their life, or in their faith. Because at the heart of it, we know if we think and take a step back, the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes an equalizer for all of us. It becomes this glorious equalizer. And so we start in chapter 6. In light of all of that, that's the foundation that he said in this section of the letter. He goes into chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What Paul is writing to the Galatian church about here is to say, listen, if there are people amongst you, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are really struggling in their walk, in their faith, they're caught up in sin. It's like they're in quicksand and they're trying to get out, and the more they try to do it, they're sinking further in. Paul calls out to them and says, If anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in spirit of gentleness. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> When you look at your uh, um, Bible, it might say spiritual. And automatically, I think, what we tend to think is, oh, spiritual must mean that person who's probably memorized all of the Bible. Uh, Spiritual might mean that person who goes to church every Sunday morning, maybe even to two services. Spiritual might mean someone who's involved in so many church things. Maybe spiritual might mean is that they actually partake in communion every week. 
oh, I know what spiritual means. Spiritual means is that person who's a pastor or an elder. I know. I, got, I used to get this when we were at Student Life, when we were at a parachurch organization. The spiritual is someone who's a missionary. They must be. They're the ones who are going on that short-term mission trip. They're far more spiritual than me. Or it must be that you have a set of gray hair that means you are spiritual. No worries. <laughs> and if you don't have hair, I apologize for that. John and Nathan will pray for you afterwards. No, not at all. See, at the heart of what it means to be spiritual is actually connected what we already talked about last week. See, someone who's spiritual is someone who's filled with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives in them. See, because it's the Holy Spirit who comes in and imparts faith, who gives faith to someone and relieves, uh, reveals Christ in them. What Paul is saying here is that, listen, if someone is caught up in sin, they're drowning. You who are spirit-filled, who are followers of Jesus, who are dependent on the Spirit, you need to come along to the side of this person who's struggling and restore them. Now remember what we've been unpacking over the last few weeks about this church? This is the Galatian church. This is the group who said that if you are going to be a real Christian, you need to do these things. And once we do these things, you are a real Christian. It would have been like a slap in the face hearing this. You who are spiritual, it has nothing to do with what you're doing. It actually has to do with, are you spirit-filled? Has the Spirit of God in you? Is He empowering you to come alongside those who are struggling? And that's why I think at the end of this verse, there's a warning because it needs to be done in humility. See, people, uh, when people come alongside those who are struggling, are, are dependent on the Holy Spirit, there actually is a right response in how you interact with them. You're coming along in humility and saying, yep, you're struggling, I've got my struggles too. So I have nothing to think that I'm better than you. But notice how we're called to restore someone. There is a job that needs to be done. We're called to restore people in gentleness. A few years ago, um, back in the 90s, I used to go through, uh, I went through a bit of a rebellious stage. I thought to myself, I've had enough of God, I'm going to do my own thing. And so I, to outwork and show my rebellion, uh, I decided to grow a goatee. Uh, that was in the 90s. It was the rage. Uh, and then I shaved my hair to number two, right? And I wanted to be this um, African-American gangster thinking that I was really cool and hip. And so it was the 90s. It was a bad time of, the, of my life, okay? It's a dark time. Uh, but I decided to do that. So I remember going to a, a relative's uh, house who doesn't go to this church. I uh, went to their house and uh, this person saw my shaved head. As I walked in with my goatee, thinking with my little bit of a strut and thinking I was all that. And he came up to me with his King James Bible opened up to Leviticus or Deuteronomy, I can't remember. And he turned around to me and said, listen, you are sinning against God. You know why? Because here it says, you shall not have any clippers come to the side of your head. You are a sinner. Turn around, you should stop doing that. My response, thanks for that. Walked away thinking, yeah, whatever. But also that same year, I remember uh, there was a gentleman who was a pastor of a church in the States, and the church I used to go to, uh, we used to um, serve alongside this church. And he came and he knew my parents, and he came around to my parents' place for dinner. 
Now, I'd come home, I'd been out with my mates, came home, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this guy's here, I forgot about that. All right, okay, I'm ready for the argument, I'm ready for the one-two punch, you know, whatever, we'll see how we go. I walk into the lounge room, he sees me. I'm ready for him to go, you are a sinner, you're going to go to hell, you need to repent. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't care, I'm going to fight you back, and I've got all these arguments in my head. And he grabs my hand, he puts his hand out. I put my hand out and says, hey, how's it going, Jerry? Goes, Shabu. Your mum and dad have been sharing that you're not walking with the Lord at the moment. I'm like, here it comes. Says, you know, I just want to let you know that God loves you. You need to turn back to God. He really cares for you. I'm praying for you. I just want you to have a think about that, okay? See, in that moment, I got to see what it means, what this passage really displays for us. What it means to gently restore someone. It's not going up to someone and saying, Oi, just stop it. You're sinning. You need to turn back. It's not about sending a big tirade of emails to them to say, You need to stop this. Here are all the verses. See, if we are truly spirit dependent, if we are dependent on the Spirit of God, who produces good fruit... It should be done in humility. It should be done in such a way that we come along this person with a gentleness and walk alongside them. Now, this word gentleness uh, is probably not a very popular word in our Aussie context. Now, after the service, if I went up to one of the blokes here at church and said, you're such a gentle guy, I'm guessing most of them go, what are you talking about? Gentleness is not really... Um, talked about but encouraged but it is actually part of the fruit of the spirit it is god's work what it means is really in many ways your character you're coming along in a gentle manner in a gentle and humble manner you're coming along to this person who's struggling who's drowning in their sin and saying hey come along because there is a job to do which is to restore them to bring them back into a right relationship with Jesus. Church, a grace-based community looks out for those who are struggling, comes alongside them in humility, in a gentle manner, led by the Spirit, and ultimately restore them back to Jesus. That is your goal when you come along people who are struggling. A grace-based community looks out for those who are struggling. They come alongside them in humility, in a gentle manner, led by the Spirit, to restore them back to Jesus. And so with that in mind, he continues in the few verses that we're looking at in chapter 6. It says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own Lord. One of our modern-day poets by the name of Katy Perry wrote a song uh, this past year. Uh, she wrote a song about her being pushed and prodded and thrown around, and she wrote this song in, in response to that. And she said, So I quietly agreed to politely. I guess that I forgot I had a choice. I let you push me past the breaking point. I stood for nothing, so I fell for everything. You held me down, but I got up. All of you brushing off the dust. dust. 
And this is the chorus. It says, I got the eye of the tiger, a fighter, dancing through the fire. And those of you who are singing, try not to sing it. Because I'm a champion, you're going to hear me roar louder than a lion. At the heart of this song, uh, there's something much more deeper. And when we hear it, I think there's something in us that goes, yeah, yeah. The heart of it saying, I can do it. I don't need anyone else. I've been pushing around. I can do this myself. And there's a deeper level there. And at the heart of it is this pride that's pushing it. Uh, and as Aussies, uh, we are known for this, aren't we? Yes, we are a friendly nation. We're, you know, um, we are easygoing. We're chilled out. We're multicultural as a language. But there's also this word, two phrase that comes out, Aussie pride. And we hold it like a real victorious pattern, saying, yeah, Aussie pride, usually during sporting events. But at the heart of it, it drives us all in some way. Even last, yesterday afternoon, I went and took my son swimming. My father-in-law came as well, and he wanted to see Elisha swimming in the way. And at the end of the swimming time, I uh, you know, grabbed Elisha out of the pool, and Elisha's decided he wants to take the whole, his old clothes off in front of everyone. And I'm like, oh, great. So I'm trying to take his clothes and his wet nappy off. And, and he's like, daddy, daddy. And I'm like, oh, I'll pick you up. And I'm grabbing a bag. And I'm trying to go to the change rooms. My, uh, and my father-in-law turns around to me and says, hey, do you want me to hold that bag for you? I'm like, no, no, I've got this. I've got it. <laughs> Almost falling and dropping my son. See, pride in its uh, sin of itself uh, creeps in very subtly, very slowly, and for those of us who struggle with pride, we don't actually see it ourselves. See, what the, this verse is saying, in light of grace, in light of us being dependent on the Holy Spirit, in light of coming alongside those who are struggling, we all actually have to help each other carry their burdens. We can't actually do it on our own. We all need help. Now, this burden that's talking about is a burden that is so overwhelming, it is totally killing you. You can't handle it. It's suffocating you. And in particular, it's sin in this context. And it's crushing this person. And they need someone to come along and say, I can't do this. Can you help me? But it needs to be also a response from the person who's carrying this on their own, thinking they can do it. And so uh, Paul outlines something else in this verse. As he says, as you come alongside this person who's struggling, who can't carry it, you're wanting to help them carry this burden that's on them. He actually pulls out two statements. And the statement is about the law of Christ, the law of Jesus. See, uh, in this book, in Galatians, you'll see it. Uh, it's talked about quite often. And this law of Jesus is probably one of the few places in Galatians is where it comes up. See, when the law was talked about for those in that culture, or in particular the Jewish uh, Christians, they already knew what that meant. It meant the law of Moses, the Old Testament. And in Galatians 5.14, Paul addresses this and says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, if the law, if you want to put it in a statement, that's what it's all about at the heart of it. But I think Jesus, when Paul says the law of Christ, the law of Jesus, I think he's reflecting on one reality. 
He is talking about the law, but then he continues and says, I think he's reflecting on a passage in John 14. In John 14, 33, Jesus is saying this to his disciples, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I only say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Paul is reminding this church, listen, if you truly believe in the gospel of grace, if you're going to be dependent on the Spirit of God, it should flow out in the way that you interact with each other, in the way you love each other. It's a beautiful thing when brothers and sisters in Christ get along in love of Christ. It is driven by Christ. A few months ago, I had the privilege to be on a team organizing an evangelistic event here in the city in Melbourne. And there's this moment where we were sitting around the table and there was an evangelical Anglican church, there was a Baptist church, there was me, there was an AOG church, and we were all sitting around and we were talking about how can we make much of Jesus so that people may come into a loving relationship with Him. It's a wonderful picture when uh, bodies of Christ get together to love each other. And here in this context, he's addressing this church who I think is struggling with it. Because if we truly love each other, we come along and we help people in their struggles. And he continues in the following verses, verse 3, that in light of this humility, it says, but also be careful. Verse 3 in chapter 6 says, For if anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own. And the NIV might change some of these things, uh, uh, one of the ways that it's said. But I like the way it's put here. What it's saying is that ultimately, if you are struggling... And if you are going through things and you see someone struggling, come alongside them, but don't deceive yourself. You need to have some self-examination. Before you go and help someone, think to yourself, what is motivating you to go and help this person? Are you motivated out of pride or self-righteousness? Or are you going to come alongside them and encourage them? You need a bit of discernment. And I know in our church family, there might be those of you who have sort of defined themselves as those rescuers. For those of you who feel like you're a rescuer, you can't help but help people all the time. Think through about why you're doing it, your motives going to that. Be careful. If it's driven by pride, not humility, you will get stuck. See, a grace-based community is humble and they will test all they do, they will check their motives. Is it going to be either for God's glory or is it going to be for their own glory? And so he concludes this section in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will also from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. Uh, And this verse, in verse 6, he's ultimately saying to the church that's listening to this letter, listen, you need to be submissive to those who are over you. Those people who teach you. Those people who are teaching you ultimately the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a discipleship relationship. But he's also saying to them, don't be consumers. Don't just sit there and take it in. Go and share what you've been taught. Share with those who need to hear. And the teacher's role is actually not to be a dictator. It's not just sitting there and downloading information. It's a partnership. If you're part of Canterbury Gardens Community Church, I want to just remind you again, the reason why we teach the Bible on Sundays, particularly from the pulpit, it's not because it's a cool thing. It's not what churches should do. It's not about because we want to be known as a Bible church. The reason why we do this, at the heart of it, we want to see every single one of you growing and maturing in Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, we want you to come into a personal relationship with Him. We want you to be reminded of this every week, day in and day out. So through that, by God's grace, there'll be this overwhelming spill into your life. The way you interact both at home, with your family, at workplace. And this is why at Canary Gardens we often talk about preaching the gospel to each other. Gospeling each other. The reason why we use those terms is we want to make the gospel of Jesus Christ not just for those people, it's actually for all of us, including those of us who know Jesus. This is why we do what we do here at our church. And Paul is actually addressing an issue here. He's saying, listen, if you've got teachers, you should actually support them. And before you think this is going to be a financial support drum, that's not what I'm here for. What he's saying is don't be consumers. Don't just take it in and say, that was great for me. But invest back. Invest back into gospel work. Then we come towards the end of this section where it says we're given a stark warning about not mocking God. What he's saying to the people who are sinning and deliberately sinning, be very careful here. God cannot and will not be mocked. And the danger is that uh, this church might have been going, look, it's all about grace. What about holiness? Paul is actually addressing this issue here, saying, listen, God will and cannot be mocked. Often I think sometimes we paint this picture of uh, God, this little puppy, real cute and cuddly and furry, really friendly, loving. He is all of that. But don't forget, he still has not changed to be a holy God. He still hates sin. And the brunt of that was bore by his son. But this is a loving warning for those of us who are struggling and continually struggle deliberately in sin. Paul is saying, be very careful. God will not and cannot be mocked. And so he says, because what happens is that when you are testing God and mocking God, there's also the reality you will produce fruit. See, he shows this language of sowing and reaping. He says, if you sow in your flesh, if you keep on giving into the flesh, if you keep on surrendering to that, ultimately you will produce fruit. And that fruit is going to be stinky, worm-infested fruit. Fruit that will not lead to life that's eternal. 
But what he's saying is so into eternal things through the Spirit of God. Because that is eternal things. And invests into the ultimate eternal thing in God's work. And in this context, I think he's saying invest in eternal things in that investing in people. And he's challenging this church, listen, don't do this out of duty. Don't do it out of duty. Oh, I probably should do this out because God should ex- expect me to do it. No, do it because of the grace that was shown to you. Show that same grace to those around you. And in particular, those of the household of faith. In particular, to the household of faith. Church, a grace-based community invests in the things of the Holy Spirit. Things that are eternal in particular are brothers and sisters. Those are eternal things. We are eternal beings. So, what now? Well, I want to leave some questions with you to think about and chew over. Firstly, we talked about uh, the practice of someone who is not uh, spirit-led and that they're envious, they're provoking people. Do you need to seek forgiveness? Do you need to restore things with people that you have been provoking or maybe you're envious about? Maybe you're someone who's struggling that yourself, you're actually getting that at you. Well, maybe you need to forgive them. Both John and Nathan have done some great training called the Peacemaker Training. Uh, This is about conflict resolution. It's walking through this journey on people and walking through that process. If that is you, if you've got some really bad conflict happening in your life, at your home, workplace, in your marriage, please grab John and Nathan after the service because I'd love to walk that through with you. The other thing, how's your pride going? You want to test your pride? What if I came to you today and said you're wrong? Often we'll quickly know that we're all prideful people in some way. We all are. Meditated on these things like what we've just read about. But outside the Bible, some resources I want to encourage you to consider. One is by a guy called John Dixon. He's written a wonderful, glory, a good book. Uh, he's an Aussie author. It's called Humiliatus. What he does is he unpacks the, the theology of humility in the biblical form. The other one is C.J. Mahaney. He's written a book called True Greatness. And it's probably a book that's really shaped me. It's a small book for those of us who don't like reading. Grab a copy of that. The other question I want to ask is, are you someone who's right now drowning in sin? You are caught up in it. You can't but help get out of it. You can't. You've tried. You're trying. You're trying. You're doing this all in your effort. Have you truly and 100% really given it to Jesus? Have you confessed that you need for Him, but not only that, have you turned around with those who are around you? Maybe it's your family who are Christian. Maybe it's your small group. And ask them, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Will you pray for me? One of the verses talked about also carrying our own load, which I missed. But what it's saying is that you need to carry that yourself. We all have our backpacks. We all have our backpacks that we need to carry. Maybe there are things that you are trying to shove on to other people. Maybe it's time for you to take responsibility for your own backpack. And finally, what are you building into? Are you building into eternal things? Kings of the kingdom? Or are you building into things of the flesh? That will ultimately wither and fade away. Church, our prayer is that we will be a grace-based community that's grounded in grace, led by the Spirit, 
humble in its practice and invested in eternity. That's our prayer, that we would be a grace-based community, grounded in grace, led by the Spirit, humble in its practice, invested in eternity. And church, this passage was gloriously, wonderfully displayed by our wonderful Savior. Jesus sees us, sees us drowning, caught up in our sin, and he comes alongside us and gently restores us. He takes on that burden that you and I were drowning in onto himself. And he carries it to the cross. Because he's the one who has fulfilled every aspect of the law. He's done it to the T. You won't find anyone else who can do it. And he takes us in. <laughs> and he gives his, to us his holiness through his life, death, resurrection. He paid it by his blood. And because he's risen again, he's actually sent us his spirit. He sends us his spirit so that daily you and I can experience being gently restored by him. And yes, he has given us something very light to carry. The cross that he's asked us to pick up and follow him. It is light in comparison to what he took on our behalf. This is why we preach grace here at this church. This is why we try to encourage you every time. This is how it needs to be shaped in our community to become a grace-based community. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you that we are people who constantly are in need of your grace. Jesus, I pray that this morning, for those of us who are struggling, that you administer to us and remind us again. For those of us that need to be gently restored, restore us. That those of us who need to repent of our pride and arrogance, give us grace to do that this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.